everyone, welcome to the Brand Up Podcast, the place for founders with a million ideas, neurodivergent minds, and growing brands. If you sometimes find traditional marketing advice trickier to follow than you'd like, friend, you're not alone. I've lost count of the neurodivergent founders I've worked with who find traditional marketing advice difficult to follow, exhausting to execute, and frankly, disappointing in its results. On this podcast, you will learn about marketing that works for all kinds of brains. You'll hear conversations with experts who found their way to success, both online and in the real world. Whether I'm interviewing a guest or sharing the occasional solo episode, my promise is that we'll share useful information about how to market your business with more ease and better results, especially if, like me, you're neurodivergent. Two last things before we get started with today's episode. First, I joyfully live in a house with a considerable number of Devon Rex cats, five to be precise. They are a chatty bunch and they really don't like it when I close my office door. So if you hear them crying, fear not. I promise they get all the cuddles in the world once this recording is over. And two, I am prone to dropping the occasional sweary word. And I invite my guests not to censor themselves either when they join me on the podcast. So if you have sensitive ears around, pop some headphones in and you'll be all set. Let's get to today's episode. My guest today, Ruby Boglewood, is a social media marketing consultant, trainer, and speaker who sets herself apart by focusing on social media that prioritizes mental wellness over likes. She regularly speaks at networking events, is frequently heard on the radio, and was recently a finalist in two categories in her local business awards. Ruby is a modest but real powerhouse. She's known online for saying that you control social, not the other way around. A message I found then and still find most refreshing. In this week's episode, Ruby and I talk about what makes her work more important now than ever and how she shares her knowledge of sales and marketing with young people through the social enterprise she co-founded. We talk about brand and, among other things, how important it is to safeguard your own mental health online, especially as a neurodivergent entrepreneur. Towards the end of our conversation, Ruby shares one of her favorite tips to limit the time we spend on Instagram. I've been using it ever since we had our conversation earlier this year, and let me tell you, it is working. What? A relief. I'd love to hear how it works for you, but first enjoy the chat. Hello, Ruby. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. It is such a delight to see you and to hear you again. Oh, thank you, Anne. I know it's been far too long, so I am really looking forward to getting into all the nitty gritty that you're going to undoubtedly probe out of me. <laughs> mm, yes, yes. Let's start this conversation. And the work that you do online and the, the reason that you were an arresting figure for me when I first came across you is different to other things that I see online. Because often when we're working online, we're seeing and learning and absorbing about how to do more, how to be more efficient, how to show up in more places, how to produce, produce, produce. And your message is one that is 
very different and that at the time made me sit back and still does, I was thinking as we were getting ready for this podcast, around you controlling your use of social media instead of social media controlling you. And as a mother to two teens whose mental health I see fluctuating in direct connection to how much they're using their phones and my own as well, it feels more urgent than ever for us to be having the conversations that you're starting. So can you talk a little bit about about why you feel driven to do the work that you do and, and how you came to this? Yeah, what you've just described isn't uncommon in terms of that a lot more parents recognizing in themselves and in their their children that there is this direct correlation between the amount of time they're spending on digital devices particularly their smartphones and the way that they feel i had a similar experience which is how i came to the conclusion or the the revelation that i wanted to be able to control social media not the other way around and i wanted that for my audience as well so As I started my business around about six years ago, I, as you can imagine, within the social media world, was spending a huge amount of time on social uh, learning, observing, creating, engaging, all of that stuff. And eventually I suddenly started to see this change in me, my habits, the way that I was so quick to be short tempered with my partner, with my daughter. And after a while, my husband had to sit me down and said, look, this is not you. Something's changed. What is this? And at the time, I was also going through this creativity squeeze where I felt as though I couldn't do enough in order to be creative. I'd I'd almost run out of energy. I'd run out of creativity, even if that's ever possible. But for me, it felt as though I had arrived at that point. And at the, almost like there's lots of intersections here. So at the same time, I was I noticed there was a, a call for TEDx speakers in my local town. And I thought, there's something here in what I'm experiencing. And it's different to the norm. It's different to the discourse that's happening. And I don't and I think what I'm going through is something that others will currently be going through. And more of us will be heading down that pathway in the next few years as social media explodes. And I have to do something about this. I have to articulate what's going on inside me because surely I can't be the other one. So it was almost this moment where I wanted to be able to analyse what I was going through, share that with others and ask, am I the only one? And so out of that and having done the TEDx, which for me was really emotional, actually. So if you watch back right at the very end, I don't think they quite capture it, but I almost burst into tears. But after having had that discourse, lots of people then started to approach me and say, gosh, that's exactly how I feel when I use my device. When I'm on social, I feel this sense of comparisonitis. I feel less than I feel drained of energy. I feel as though I'm just on this hamster wheel of having to create content and it feels so forced and it's sucking the life force out of me and that's not an uncommon conversation I've had since with many business owners parents and also young people as well so I suppose answering your question is why do I keep doing this what drives me is because I feel as though more and more of us need to be having those open fresh conversations and being brave enough together to step back from what the algorithms and the platforms have been designed to do which is just take 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 from us there's enough enough of that because there's so much joy 
so much joy, so much creativity, so much beauty that resides outside of the world of social. It isn't the be all and end all, <laughs> but it often takes, it takes more, it takes brave people to be able to relish in the JOMO, the joy of missing out and actually engaging, you know, on a human to human level with uh, mother nature, with oneself. And that's where the best stuff for me really lies, which you can then share back on social, but at your own pace, in your own time. If you choose. Exactly. If you choose, you don't have to, you know, it's a whole other topic, oversharing. So yeah, that's, that's where my story began. And Let's get into it. Let's get into the topic of oversharing. It happens often. <laughs> Amongst everyone, though, some pe- I think people tend to think, oh, it's just young people who haven't developed that critical thinking will often feel this need to simply just share everything, inadvertently or otherwise, whether that's a young person creating content for YouTube and is still wearing their school uniform with the, with the badge on it, dictating where that school is. Or whether it is this sense of needing to share every single emotion you are going through at that time. But it's not just young people. That's what I want to put out there. It's, it's everyone. It's all of us. Because I think it's, it's down to, it has to be down to this sense of always wanting more. So when we are consuming, if we think about the way that we look at, say, Instagram Reels or TikTok, all we ever do, because we're being sent these subtle nudges from the platform uh, to swipe up, it it has these little nudges where it literally moves your the visual up and down as if to encourage you to, to continue swiping. Don't forget, keep going. And there is this constant need, consume, consume, consume. And I think there's alongside that consumption and that visualising others sharing there comes this need to say, right, well, if I want to exist in this space, if I want to feel my worth, I too need to share. And so after you've shared perhaps what you think is uh, a good place to start, you suddenly start thinking, right, well, where where else can I draw material from? Right, fine, I'll start sharing X, Y, and Z, whether that's your emotional status, whether that's your relationship details, whatever that might be. But sometimes it teeters over into the oversharing. Of course, everybody has can create boundaries. I'm not saying don't create boundaries, but it can teeter beyond. It has a cost, doesn't it? When we mine our lives for content, it has a cost to us. And we get into this, if it hasn't been recorded and shared, then, you know, it's the tree falling in the woods. Did it make any noise? If you haven't somehow publicly shared your emotion, your breakfast, your, you know, wins, etc. Do they count? And the answer is, of course, they count. And getting away from the constant sharing, getting away from the production of what is, in effect, the the content that keeps the product on the platforms. And the product is the eyeballs of the people consuming. And usually, often, that's every single one of us. I know, you know, I've had hands up. I have been two years ago, two and a half years ago, I launched my Loud and Clear program. And I did all the things, not all of them, but so many things on Instagram and on Facebook. It was a great success. It was my first time launching my brand voice and messaging program, which I stand by and love and have had almost 40 people come through. And I'm super proud of that. And I remember at the end of that 
process being so amped up all the way through as I was creating the workshops and doing the multi-day launches and all of that stuff, showing up on social media, keeping people up to date on everything that was going on. And it was, it, it was intoxicating. It was exhilarating to have so much feedback from an audience that was growing organically. And I had, I think, almost 500 people in that launch purely organically through me showing up on social media and other people talking about it. And then it was time to deliver the program, which I was thrilled to deliver and adored delivering to those people. And I was really exhausted. And when the time came for the next launch, I didn't have quite as much juice because there was stuff going on in my family. And then the next launch, I canceled. And the launch after that, I'm not going to do and the launch after that, I decided to try something completely different, which didn't work because I didn't promote it early enough. And this is for me, I'm a marketing professional. I know how to do these things. But my exhaustion from the life things that were going on, which were huge, but also the amount of energy expended to keep my eyeballs trained on other people's stuff and to just consume, 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 and to have some vague sense that maybe in this way I was connecting, there just wasn't anything left to be, there was no creativity left. In fact, this podcast, as we're recording it, is the first time in those two and a half years almost feeling so excited to do all of the marketing that I am delighted to do around these conversations because every conversation I've recorded so far has been so rich, and I know this one will be as well. It already is. I'm thrilled and proud and delighted and excited to share about it. But when I was feeling like I should, you know, it's like you, you should go to work when you're sick. You should. I just didn't have it in the mm -hmm. tank because my life with two teenagers and more mammals than is reasonable unless you own a farm and, you know, a house and the pandemic and all the things called and were far more pressing than creating content for the little phone, which despite it all, I had in my hand all the time and was consuming stuff from all the time. It has, it sapped me. And so when you talk about, you know, seeing those changes in you, it really, really resonates. And I, I'd like also to talk about, you know, having had a very recent diagnosis of ADHD and understanding that I have a tendency in any case to be highly distracted. I'm a highly distractible person. I'm a very multi-layered thinking, mind going madly off in all directions. And it makes me so good at my job. It makes me so good at creating messaging, at supporting entrepreneurs to get clear on their message because I have no emotional attachment to what they've got going on. And I can see super clearly and it, we hit it out of the park every time. But the, the way that these platforms are constructed is actually quite dangerous for someone who fundamentally has the propensity to be super distractible and to be lacking dopamine and so looking for the little hits. And they have hundreds, if not thousands, of neuroscientists working for these different apps to keep us on the phone. So it's not a failing of our willpower or intelligence or lack of awareness. It's that the whole thing is structured to suck in neurotypical people, 
and people with ADHD, I think, are so vulnerable to losing themselves even more. Does that make sense? No, definitely. And you're right. They've been constructed purposefully in that way to grab our attention, our eyeballs, because after all, that's what they can then sell on to advertisers and they're then also mining our data. You know, we are the product. You mentioned that before. You know, we, we seem to be consuming and purchasing, but actually we are the real product when it comes to social channels. And so at that point, we are this, mm-hmm. it can feel as though we are this sort of like trapped animal within this uh, rather bizarre yeah. attention-seeking, drawing circus that we seem to be all drawn to. So you're right, it isn't our fault at all. And I think it's the work that I do and the conversations that emanate from that are all about recognising that this is happening to us and we have a choice to be able to start saying no to that and putting in boundaries as well because you know it can be a space that is immensely fulfilling you talked about it when you were discussing your you know, your first launch and the connections which we're going to talk about whether it's their connections or connections <laughs> big ones or little ones but you know you it can be so fulfilling but it's that mm-hmm. self-recognition of the change in emotional status and attention status and creativity that we have to become hyper aware of so that we can better protect our mental well-being whilst also simultaneously nurturing our creativity. That's why I think there's the more conversations that we have like this, Anne, are so powerful because there'll be lots of people who listen to this and say, yeah, I recognise myself in that, but I'm, I, I'm scared of not being present all the time or I'm worried what if I don't produce enough content according to air quotes what is needed or what I should be doing which is why these sorts of conversations hopefully allow your listeners to recognize themselves in it but also in part give them permission to start setting their own rules the channels will always be there in some fashion or guise but what we must never take for granted and you and I can testify to this is our mental health is our physical health without that we are nothing the rest of the stuff's meaningless so it's time that we prioritize yeah yeah oh hello i have an invitation for you do you ever feel like you're always starting from scratch when you create marketing content or hired a freelancer who did an okay job but somehow their words just didn't sound like you Maybe you have team members waiting for you to approve marketing content so you can get the word out about your amazing offer. Oh, I feel you. It's hard. And I have good news. What if you could curate everything you know about your brand into a comprehensive collection and have it handy by your side every time you wanted to communicate? Or better still, hand it over to your team, brain transplant style so you'd be sure that they'd get the voice just right. You can. Helping you do that is my superpower, which is handy because I'm currently taking applications for Loud and Clear. It's the small group program that I created to help entrepreneurs like you sort through all that muddled spaghetti of stuff that you know about your brand. We start early in 2024. Want to come along for the ride? Over three months, we'll create a resource that saves you time, effort, energy, and money. Best of all, it gets your work known without you ever having to start from scratch or be the bottleneck for your team. 
If you're ready to focus on what you do best instead of all the marketing, then Loud and Clear might be for you. If you know that you need to do this work, but group programs aren't really your jam, I also work one-to-one. -one. The link to contact me about this is in the show notes, or you can get in touch with me on socials at Andy Ferguson. Whether you are interested in the Loud and Clear group program, or if you think you'd like us to rock it ahead, the two of us together. Either way, sharing what's in your head helps your brand grow. Let's get back to the episode. It's, it's so important to prioritize ourselves. And as someone is listening and thinking, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm a founder. I have a business. It's going however well it's going. And I feel like I need to be producing all the time to stay relevant, to stay on people's feeds. At the moment, I'm seeing a lot on Instagram, people posting and saying, my followers have been saying that they're not seeing my content on their feed. Can you please comment on this to boost the post so that Instagram will start showing my stuff again? And whether it's Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or whatever, whatever the platform is, the game is, is rigged and constantly changing. And to try to keep up to it is incredibly exhausting and it's a, it's a losing game. So as someone is listening and thinking, yeah, you know what, I've fallen out of love and hands up, absolutely me, fallen out of love with creating all of the content to pour into social media and you know, waiting to see what the results are, and then feeling the disappointment or feeling the the elation if it if it does fly, and then wanting more of that elation, and then the disappointment that comes if it doesn't, because it's so random, right? What would you say to someone who is a founder who wants to grow their business, who they they know that what they offer works because they've sold it lots and lots of times, but things have shifted and people's attention is getting more fragile and short. So our audience isn't consuming in the same way. We're all exhausted as producers. We're all exhausted as consumers. What would you say to someone who is thinking, yeah, but <laughs> I built an online business and I need this to support my family or my life or my collection of mammals or whatever, whatever, they, whatever it is that they have in their world? What can they do? I hear you. I'm, I'm in a similar situation, right? I run two companies and what I earn from, from those businesses is, is super important to the to the well-being and to the you know, the functioning of my family from a materialistic point of view. So I get that. The first thing I'd probably say is don't try to keep pace. Because <laughs> like you rightly said, Anne, you are never going to outrun the algorithms. They are constantly changing, like you say. They are forever introducing new features. I love the fact that Adam Masseri, the head of Instagram, often comes on. And I really like his content, genuinely do. He'll come on and talk about some of those new features that are being launched. That's great, and that I understand the element of transparency that they're trying to offer as a platform. However, there will be many, many things that are going on in the background that they will never reveal to us. And so we will never have the whole picture. So instead of expending your energy trying to decipher what they're up to, what's coming next, is I always think just step back from that. That's not where I'm trying to compete. That's not where I want to put my energy. It's not worthwhile. It's not self-fulfilling. So instead, what I look to do is to do a couple of things. And that's, first of all, really understand what, both what I enjoy sharing with my audience and simultaneously what they perceive to be valuable. 
what will be of value to them? How am I fulfilling uh, their lives? What am I adding to it? Have they got a challenge? Have they got desires? How is it that what I'm sharing helps to match that? But as soon as you start doing that, you start to build this uh, connection with your community. And it's those little connections that really are truly the test of time because those are the ones where you start conversing in the DMs. Those are the ones where you start arranging a coffee meeting. Those are the ones where they want to do business with you or recommend you to somebody else. That takes time. I I appreciate that. The second thing alongside that I would suggest is when you're on a platform like Instagram, for instance, it has, I think the last count, it had something like five or six different features. Being able to produce content regularly, all six features is a full-time job. You would have to be a social media manager. And even then, social media managers are not on all features, on all channels, everywhere, all times. It is about prioritizing which channels you want to be on. And I always say, keep it ridiculously simple. I always say, start off with one or two. Do those for like six months. Analyze, take stock, then decide whether or not you want to add another one to the mix. And if so, what does it add? What does it add to you? What does it add to your bottom line? What does it add to your audience? Or is it just the next door neighbours, dogs, cats, mums, purse, milkman at the pub recommended you should be on a channel? Because often we can get uh, caught up in the hype, can't we? Oh, you need to be on this. It's brilliant. It's X, it's Y. So keep it simple. And then I would also say just pick one or two features within that given channel that you really enjoy creating content for. So I know when there was the algorithm change on Instagram and then uh, they said, Instagram is no longer a photo sharing app. Suddenly loads of people who previously loved just putting up their photographs, still images that they'd kept, you know, wonderfully and passionately curated and taken were suddenly, it's almost as if they've been slapped in the face. It's like, oh, right. So you're telling me I'm no longer available and I'm no longer welcome in this space that constantly changed so don't change your strategy based on the fact that suddenly Instagram has or any other channel suddenly has a whim and decides to change direction because you know as it has done earlier this year Adam Masseri came on and apologized for having said that and has said that photographs are still very much valid and in fact they are looking to prioritize (laughs) photographs back in the feed don't try to I would say avoid any harsh pivots when it comes to uh, sharing content in the given format that you enjoy. The more that you enjoy being in that space, the more simple it is to do so. That is your productive space to be in, both creatively and also for your own mental well-being. So don't try and keep up pace, keep it simple and uh, be on the features that you enjoy most. I love that because there is such a, there's such a broad availability of options, right? It becomes, it's overwhelming, time consuming. If we look at, I have often said to my kids who say to me, but mom, you're on your phone all the time. And I go, yeah, but that's for work. <laughs> but, but is it really, is it really for work when I'm checking in on the fitness person whose life I've been following since COVID in, you know, <laughs> on the West coast of California, I mean, in California, of course it's not, it's not work. And and it's, it's a really slippery slope that even those of us who are paying attention can get on because we can't pay attention every single second of every single minute. And these platforms are made to draw us in. It's a very human thing 
particularly when you are neurodivergent, particularly when you have ADHD, to be seeking the dopamine and seeking the highs. And, you know, some people with ADHD seek really high highs, like our skydivers, literally, and jumping out of, you know, whatever, whatever, hang gliding and, and waterfall jumping and whatever all the things are that, that often come from this need to have dopamine. So on that scale, <laughs> social media is, a, is more tame, but it's far more insidious. And it has such an impact on, on relationships. Certainly I can see even just in our house, in myself, in my kids. And, you know, I'm going to link to your TED talk because I think it's a really important thing for us all to, to reflect on and that our relationship with our device and with the social platforms that we choose to load on it is, is very different. I noticed that found myself saying a lot recently, and this is despite being a professional marketer, I work with founders on messaging and brand voice. And that is absolutely my golden area. The last two clients that I've worked with, and one of them is quite a large client, have are people I've met at co-working. And we sit down and work together physically. And uh, tomorrow at time of recording, I'm going to meet this client. Having just seen her, it's Monday. On Friday, I saw her for, for a three-hour session. And the ability to be in space with people and to do this work with people physically, it is so delightful to me, Ruby, and that it didn't come from social media and that it didn't come from, you know, however many launches. I have loved every single client I have worked with online, and I will continue to do this work because it allows me to reach people that I wouldn't otherwise. I have a client who's in the Shetland Islands. I'm in Geneva. Like, there's no way I could have reached, gotten up way up there, up north. And I adore it, and I love working online. However, there is this reality that I'm coming to. It's like I'm waking up from a, from a stupor of, I love being in space with people. And you have a very strong being in space piece of the work that you do, because you mentioned you have two businesses. You also have a social enterprise where you work with young people to help them learn coding and robotics and filmmaking. And you also have a really strong message and and amount of content around minding their mental health and being in control of how they use social media instead of the other way around. Can you talk to us a little bit about that work that you do in person with actual humans? <laughs> I too, like you, Anne, enjoy getting a real rush from actually having that human, uh, human to human connection. I think it's so valuable, which is why when we're, me and my business partner for my social enterprise, Skills for All, when we are working with young people and we're talking from uh, age four up to 18, whenever we're teaching them, be that robotics or coding or filmmaking, it is always about understanding how do you bring yourself to what you are doing as a human being? How do you look to create, but also do so not in isolation, but with others? An example of that would be we have a holiday club. We have a number of holiday clubs throughout the academic year. So we're just currently in planning mode for the summer stuff. And one of the things that we've been very mindful of when creating the structure for the days is that the it, it's well balanced. So the mornings are very much tech led. You've got your iPad, you've got your robots, you've got your green screens, you've got your stop animation. There's loads of stuff that we're doing with them, empowering them with lots of digital skills. But the empowerment comes, we're using the, the I suppose, the devices as a vehicle for them to recognize that they have this beautiful talent within them and that if they tap into that, they can hopefully recognize they have a place in the digital sector, which is burgeoning where we are in, in the north of England. 
so that's that's one side of it is that recognizing their self-worth that self-talent and knowing that there is a valid place for them in society when they leave you know school and enter employment so that's one piece but the second piece alongside that is also recognizing that whilst we may be creating with these devices during the morning what's also extremely important is that we have time away from those devices and that we look at one another in the eyeballs and that we play and that we have fun and that we do it wherever we can we always do it outside amongst mother nature so it's about empowering teamship qualities connection communication nurturing the old we have I, I get very passionate about the social enterprise and but we've got We've um, we've grown a little division of our social enterprise. We call them the young digital leaders. So these are 13 to 17 year old students who we've worked with firsthand on a number of projects throughout, you know, over the years. And we've recognized that those students in particular have got something very special about them. Not just their, you know, greater the 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 tech side of things, but that they have this beautiful innate leadership element within them that they don't often recognize this idea that they are able to inspire others around them even though they may not be head boy or head girl or whatever designated leadership role they might be given this is recognizing that anybody can can go out there and lead and inspire and 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 encourage others to to join in and come along on that journey so we have grown this these these young digital leaders this group from zero to uh, 12 which is terrific and that, th- those numbers might not be huge <laughs> for others out there but for us and we've done that over the last 12 to 18 months in particular they're a vital part of what we do and, and and it's being able to have them start leading these human action interaction sessions with younger students and again inspiring them you know that peer-to-peer learning and inspiration that they offer is valuable but we wouldn't be able to get to that space if we hadn't intentionally thought about the relationship that we want ourselves and the younger generation to be able to garner. And for hopefully forevermore, there is this recognition that it the, that tech doesn't lead, but that it has a place in one's life, but it is only a portion of that there is there are so many more fulfilling things you know within that world of uh, you know a human or a young person but that's reading whether there is you know jumping out of an airplane whatever it might be or whether it's simply sitting underneath a tree in a playground on a warm summer's afternoon where they're able to just breathe do yoga write a creative piece it's all valid It really is. And I'm noticing maybe it's age, maybe it's having been in the online space for a decade, but I'm really noticing that I am feeling like I'm, I'm waking from a bit of a fog where at the beginning I was so excited about all of these technologies and I was fully in the space. And I think because I was so grounded and present in my physical life, that it was an, it was an add-on, it was an expansion, it was, it was a new frontier, it was something that was thrilling and exciting and, and potential-filled. And over time, as that balance has perhaps shifted because of COVID, because of the pandemic, and we all did come online, it became our main channel of communication. And thank goodness we had it, because I, I can't think what that would have been like to all have been you know, quarantined in our homes, 
locked down for months and months and months and months and months and months over two years and not having had that opportunity to to communicate with each other that would have been a desperation beyond imagining however the back i hope the back of that situation i feel that the balance has shifted dramatically and dangerously if i can say it that way unhealthily let's say and it's for many people this online space that we're in even as you know for every person who's listening and i love that you're listening but you're not connected to the to the world around you as much as you would be if you weren't listening and i love that we have this opportunity to have this conversation and that we can share it with the world and i am also conscious that it is it's an opportunity for people to learn and to hear from us who wouldn't necessarily but also another another way of of disconnecting from the physical space we're in which may be rife with discomforts or or you know challenges or just the regular things of life but to be as an example last year gifted myself the biggest dream of my life which was to buy a horse and i found this immense horse who wasn't in the best of shape and was very loved but not particularly well trained had lost lots of muscle so we're not talking i didn't buy myself a grand prix champion or anything but bought myself this beautiful horse and i noticed that there are days when i will be in the car and i'm driving along and i go to the barn and it's always a bit of a rush because of aforementioned teens and home and life and other mammals to take care of i arrive and it's usually about a 3 hour experience to get there and you know prepare him and tack him up and ride him and then cool him off and clean the tack and put him away and i'm very lucky to have this opportunity it's a lifelong dream and I'm so conscious of it. But I will notice that I'm I'll be in the car listening to a podcast and I'll just get out of the car, pop the headphone in my ear, poodle along to the barn and there will be times when I'm you know he's a 700 kilo animal and there I am with my little AirPod shoved in my ear. Probably my brain is paying more attention to what I'm listening to than this immense living being who is I'm lucky enough to have agreed to a certain extent to be in this space with me he doesn't really have a choice but to and to be ridden by me and to interact with me and and sometimes i catch myself not honoring his existence by being fully present because i'm really interested in what favorite podcaster abc is saying there is a loss there i feel there is tremendous gain but there is also a loss in not simply being with this great being i've dreamt of my whole life and instead of being with him as my 12-year-old me would have been just like you know crying with joy every day sometimes i'm not fully there and it's and i'm and i'm missing communication he doesn't have headphones in his ears he knows i do cuz he can hear it but it changes our connection it does and you're not alone Anne. i think we're all we're all guilty of that but like you say it is that we get joy from listening to the music or podcasts or on you know audio books and that's absolutely wonderful but there is that it's that self it's that conversation we all need to have with ourselves right in terms of recognizing where that digital device sits in our life what priority are we willing to give it who's in control is it in control or are we and therefore then recognizing the fact that right okay well if i'm heading out to the shops on the way there i'll pop my headphones in but on the way back do you know what i want to walk an alternative way I'll walk along the canal towpath or I'll walk through that park but I'm going to do that without my headphones in because I just want five ten however long minutes moments to myself and I want to be able to connect 
with what's happening around me. It doesn't have to be a very woo-woo state. It just merely is you're being that bit more observant, that bit more present. And it's not just doing it for the sake of it, but also recognising the effect that that has on you, on your breathing, maybe on your posture, maybe on your mood, maybe on your thought pattern. I often have on Instagram, I have the little timer that pops up that you can set for different different notification levels. I have mine set at 10 minutes, always do. And it still astounds me to this day when I receive that little notification, right? Your your time limit is up. You spent 10 minutes. It's wise to sort of like move on or do you want to stay on? Nine times out of 10, I will now always move off that channel. But before I do that, I have this little mental moment where I do this almost very quick body scan to think, right, I've watched 10 minutes of reels or whatever it might have been. It's inevitably is reels where this is passive consumption. That when I receive that notification, I just think, whoa, how is it? Quick mental check. How am I doing? My head feels full. It may well feel foggy, like you mentioned, Anne, before, or I feel lethargic, or I feel my emotions are a little bit sad, and I don't know why, because I'm sure 10 minutes ago I was fairly happy, but now I feel this sense of disconcerting lack of self-worth. Where has that come from? And it's that recognition, right? It is that, hold on, this is what has stimulated that, and I don't want to be in that space. I know I need to move away. That doesn't mean I won't come back to that, you know, later on in the day. But it's that self-recognition moment to think this, I've consumed a lot and that's and I, and I feel fine or I've consumed a lot and I don't feel fine. Either way, I need out of this and I need to just go and walk. I need to go and talk to somebody else. I need to do something else. I need to look out the window. I need to stroke my cat, whatever it might be, so that I do not fall down into this spiral that I know if I were to continue in this pattern, for, 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 you know, even for a week, if I were to ignore those messages, I would be in a completely different mental state and also creative state at the end of it, which is what I was feeling, if we, I suppose, go full circle at that moment when I when I first recognized I needed to write that TED talk and, and share that with the world. I could go on and on, but I'm conscious of your time. I'm grateful for you sharing all of that with us and giving us a chance to reflect, I think, without blame or shame. It's one of the things that I love about your voice, which is um, a comforting, clear-eyed, there are things we can do to be in control of how we use our time and how we interact with these platforms that have the potential to help us grow our businesses so much, but also have, it's a double-edged sword and we just need to be careful where, where we are. So I will link to all the places that people can find you so that they can continue to hear your voice and perhaps even work with you to, to help themselves find a more even keel with how they work with social media. And I will look forward to receiving that instruction because I'm going to be limiting my own time on Instagram. So can't wait to get that. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Brand Up Podcast, the neurodivergent founders hub for all things brain, voice, and brand. If you'd like to learn more about what you heard today, head to the show notes for all the useful usual links. Most importantly, if you're ready for marketing to be easier, and if you have a niggle that working on your brand voice strategy and messaging will help, it really will. I'd love to talk to you about your brand. You can book a chat with me by reaching out on socials 
or through the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute to follow the podcast and do leave us a review. That way more brilliant neurodivergent founders like you and me will find the podcast and get the support they need. Marketing can be easier, more effective and more fun when you share what's in your brain so your brand can grow. Speak soon. Thank you.